Wow. Emma, that was amazing. That was awesome. We've been singing that song in churches all, literally all around the world. Uh, and, I've, and I've had in the back of my mind, uh, Emma would rock that song. Uh, so awesome. You know, uh, uh, I just want to uh, say a really big thank you to um, Pastor John O'Brown. I can't see him. Where is he? There he is. He's playing the bass. And uh, you did such a phenomenal job across four months. And to take on, uh, what, is it, what did we say? You're acting senior pastor, which is that's all I do. I'm only acting as well. I'm not really a pastor. I'm just pretending. <laughs> but, uh, to take that on on top of your job and all that, you already had a lot of responsibilities at church. We, we, I, we, it's a real blessing to Chrissy and I. It meant that we could actually be away and, and not worry because we knew that it was a safe pair of hands and a smart, a smart brain behind the hands. And, that, you know, really, and not just looking after things but leading. And we really do appreciate you uh, all the time but, and just want to mention it. And, and Emma, what a great team you are. Isn't there, aren't there great people in our church? And uh, how many people know? Yeah. And uh, we've got, we're going to build up to when we say goodbye to Wakash, but we won't talk about it today because we've already had enough crying. And uh, we might have to raise the funds to fly Wakash back to Wellington on a weekly basis. Uh, that uh, it's yeah, you guys are awesome. Thanks, Emma. Thanks, John. Thanks, everyone who served extra hard while we were away. I know that, that uh, everything I do must have been a real burden, <laughs> it must have been a real heavy load because I'm I carry I do so much. <laughs> That's not true, uh, but anyway, thank you so much. Um, awesome. Could we, you, could you do me a favor? Could you give John and Emma particularly a really big hand, a big thank you? Awesome. You guys can grab a seat. Very, very good. Okay, we're not going to say, I'm not going to say any more about Lester and Emily because uh, we've already had enough man tears uh, this morning. But uh, you guys are, like I said already, such a blessing. And, uh, and we're really proud of you. We just want to take a bit of credit for how awesome you are. Uh, we know that your parents had something to do with it. But, uh, and uh, we're going to be excited that the second greatest city in New Zealand, Palmerston North. Uh, how many of you know that I'm a changed man when it comes to Palmerston North? And God has set me free. I've repented. And, uh, and we just know that it's, God's going to do something great because you're there. And, you know, and God's going to do something great wherever you are because you're there. Amen? Amen. Well, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to smash a bunch of Scriptures. We're not going to smash them. That sounds disrespectful. We're going to read them. I'm trying to make it sound hip and cool, but it doesn't really work for me. Uh, we're going to read some Scriptures. And I'm just talking about two things this morning. How many of you know a recipe is phenomenal, like a chemical reaction? How many scientists do we have out there? Okay, that's all I'm going to say about chemical reactions. I know the word. I don't really know what it means. But I was just thinking about when you take one great thing and you add it with another great thing, you get Elisa Thai. Right, when you take the phenomenon that is a mandatory, right? How many know that a mandatory is a phenomenon like no other, and you add that with the with the with the phenomenon that is patitai, you get something amazing, right? You get something that is actually greater than the sum of its parts. And I'm talking this morning about faith and generosity. My premise at the moment, my thinking at the moment is about this. When it comes to the kingdom of God, 
when it comes to this idea of living in God's purpose, fulfilling our destiny, fulfilling our call, being everything that God's called us to be pure. When it comes to everything God's called you to do, called you to be, you've got to be a, you've got to be a witness in your workplace. You've got to be a man of character in business. You've got to be a, a loving husband and father in the future. You've got to make a lot of money. You've got to build houses. You've got to, you've got to feed the poor because God's called you to have money and resources and make a difference in the world. I'm prophesying as well as using you as an example, right? Right, when, it, when you think of all that, it can be a little bit overwhelming because you can think, well, I'm just a kid from Rongatai. But you're not. You're a, you're a child of heaven. You've been sent to earth to make a difference and change the world, right? But it can get a little bit overwhelming, can't it? Especially on Monday mornings or whatever day of the week it is that you choose to celebrate as your Monday morning. Uh, and you, when, when your body wakes up and your brain and your heart haven't, right? It can be a bit overwhelming when we think about all of the things we have to do to be the people of God, to be the, the kingdom people of God, the purpose people, the destiny people, right? How I many that could be a, a big deal, right? Yeah? When we think about, you know, Equipus Church, where our, our logo, I'm trying to see if it's anywhere, but it's just on the bottom of the sign, so it's tiny. Our logo is this arrow, right? And so we're, we're about this, everything we are as a church is about this arrow that says you come into church. The reason you're here this morning is that we're, we're here to praise God passionately, to open up our hearts to Him and worship and to honor Him together in community, right? We're, we're doing the sermon part now because I'm speaking to the arrows. And then on Monday, you get fired out into the world to hit the target that God's got for you, right? And there's as many targets as there are arrows, right? It can, it can be a little bit of a I've, I've got to be something to make a difference in the world around me. Just nod your head with me if you ever get a little bit overwhelmed, Right? If you're not nodding your head, I'll be with you during the week and I'll give you some more things to think about. And we'll see if you can get you to overwhelm place. And, and, and what I preached last week, what we talked about last week, is that if we're going to do the kingdom, we've got to become different people. And, and the first thing I thought about was that we have to become people of prayer. And I taught you my new thing, which is the 10 minute prayer blast. Right? And I'm thinking of doing an a, uh, a, um, a infomercial. Or as Madeline likes to say, an infirmical, uh, infomercial about the 10-minute prayer blast. And I was talking to Shav this week, and I, I don't know about you, but I was doing the 10-minute prayer blast, and I found it a little bit long, anybody? So I figured out we could do the five-minute prayer blast, and he's suggesting one day we could come up with three-minute abs, I mean prayer blast, uh, and take it to the next level, right? Because we've got to become, if we're going to do what God's called us to do, we've got to become people of prayer. Uh, and praying is, praying is simple, right? You're already good at praying. You do praying all the time, right? But you mostly do it in the form of worrying. So you just take your worrying and direct it to God in, with faith and with, with an open heart, and you've, suddenly you're praying, right? You've already got the time to pray because you've got all your worry time, right? All that time you've been worrying. You, you know, the transformation from being a neurotic person who stays up all night worrying to being a prayer warrior is just focus, it really is just the shift of focus that turns you into a person of prayer. Amen? Anyway, I don't want to preach all of last week's sermon, or I won't have time for this week's sermon. Um, and, uh, amen? Okay, let's have a look. Let's talk about faith. So Hebrews 11, chapter 1 is on the screen in a minute, but it says this, faith shows the reality. So faith is the reality of the things that we hope for, and it's evidence of things we can't see. So faith is the evidence. It's a visible sign that there's hope 
inside of us, that there's vision inside of us, that there's belief inside of us. How we see it, it comes out through this thing called faith. John chapter 6, verse 28 to 29 is one of my favorite little moments in Jesus' teaching. Because it's, it's, it's John, it's mysterious. It's like, wow. And, and Jesus has done this miracle of turning a small boy's lunch into a food for thousands, right? And then the crowd, Jesus goes across the lake, and then the crowd all follow him around. It seems like, when you read the story, it seems like the main reason that the crowd has traveled all the way around the lake to hear Jesus teaching again is because of the quality catering as opposed to the message, right? So Jesus brings this real challenging word, and, 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 and they ask this question. The crowd, people in the crowd ask this question. They say, uh, you can do the works of God, right? Uh, Oh, golly, that's, that's verse 9. Uh, jump to 28 to 29. It might be my handwriting. Uh, sorry. And they say, you can do the works of God. We want to perform the works of God. How do you know that, that being able to multiply food, particularly in a place where you could sell the food to hungry people, right? How do you know that's a great skill to have, right? We want to be able to do the works of God. Do you ever think that, do you ever, have you ever thought that thought of um, if you're magic? Matt, Matt Gilbert, yeah, he's thinking that right now. If it was magic, he'd make the preacher disappear. No. Even though if you're magic or how many, the other one people do all the time is what would you do if you won lotto, right? Whenever it's big, there's always these conversations. What would you do if you won the lotto, right? So obviously you tithe, right? <laughs> yeah. What would you do if you won lotto? That's this idea of, oh, wouldn't it be great if you could just make stuff happen? You could do the work of God, Right? That's the question. Oh, we want to do the work of God. And maybe the question is motivated from selfishness, but maybe it's motivated from a real sense of, I want to, we want to do something great for God. And that's, and that's our motivation. Let's do the work of God, right? And, right? And they are, we want to do it. And Jesus says this, and it's the most outlandish thing in the world. He says, this is the only work God wants from you. This is the only work God wants from you. And all you have to do, what God wants you to do, this is your job as Christians. Believe in the one whom he has sent. What's our job as Christians? Well, part of it is that we've got to believe in Jesus. Jesus said, don't worry about what you do. Worry about where your faith and focus and belief is. That's your job. Isn't that cool? Jumping back to Hebrews 11, which is an awesome passage in the Bible around faith. Uh, and later on, verse six, Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says, It's impossible to please God without faith. Right? So faith is this evidence that we're hoping for something. And then later on, Paul says it's impossible to please God unless there's evidence in your life that you're hoping for something from God. You're believing from something for God. And he goes on, he says, um, anyone who wants to come to God must believe that God exists. It's impossible to do the God thing unless you believe that He exists. The next thing's really interesting because everyone believes that God exists. If you do the survey, everyone believes God exists. The next thing it says is this. You must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who sincerely seek Him. So there's evidence in my life that I have hope and there's actions in my life that push me towards God. That's what faith is. It's the actions, the visible sign that you believe something. Based on this idea that I know that God exists, but I don't just know that He exists, I know some things about Him. 
Think about this idea. We've got to believe He exists and that He rewards those who sincerely seek Him. It's one thing to believe that He exists. It's a whole nother ball game to trust in Him as a person. He's a person who He rewards me as I sincerely seek Him. Do you know, some of us, the faith question, we, we, under, we don't understand how it works in our life because we only think, well, I know God exists and I'm praying to Him and why isn't He doing anything? Because, we, because there's this whole relational aspect that we've got to trust in who He is as a person. That's faith. We don't just know that He exists, but we trust in Him as a person, right? Good. Okay, we, are we holding it together? Can we handle one more scripture about faith? James 2.17, how many of you know we've got to get to this one if we're talking about faith? He says, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless faith produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. So faith is this living thing that's visible, and it shifts our behavior. So faith shifts our behavior. Unless, otherwise, it's not faith. If, it doesn't, if our behavior is not shifting, we don't have faith. If, 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 if it's not producing good deeds, there's a there's sort of continuous idea there. It's not like that. I had faith and it produced a good deed in 1987. But there's this producing out of our life. Jesus said, out of your life will flow rivers of living water. Paul, Paul's saying here that there's a production of good deeds. There's a lifestyle shift based on what we believe. So I've got four things you can write down. Number one, we are people who hope. That's who we are. We are hopeful, right? Some of us are also anxious. Some of us are also depressed. Some of us are also hurt. Some of us are disappointed. But actually, when it comes to our life and our focus, and I want to tell you this, as a Christian, you are hopeful. That's who you are. You are hopeful. I'm not very hopeful, Jordan. No, you are. I'm telling you today that you're hopeful. You are hope. Otherwise, you're not here. You wouldn't be here. Right? Yes, it's free coffee January, so maybe you came for a free coffee. It would be worth it, right? But you've got to have hope to just get across the foyer at the moment, right? You know, I hope, you know, I, you know you got something inside you says it's going to be worth getting through the scaffolding, not slipping on the wet, not, not, not suffocating in the dust, right, to get into, this, into the auditorium because I know God's going to bless me. That, that's why you're here. So I can say confidently, you are hopeful. You are hoping for different outcomes in 2017 than you had in 2016. That's what you're hoping for. If you've been doing the prayer blast, you will find hope actually builds as you pray. How many of you know that when you pray one day and then you pray the next day, you actually can hear your prayer becoming a little bit more confident, right? Why? Because hope is happening. We are people who hope. Number two, we're people who believe. We do. We believe. I believe in Jesus. I believe He died to set me free. I believe He's risen again. Again, has victory over sin and death. I believe He's at work in my life. I believe He has my future in His hands. I believe. I don't just have, I've got hope for something amazing. And Jesus is what I believe in that connects me to this great hope, right? That's the strength of my life. That's where I'm not a confident person. I'm a person who believes, Confidence in Christ is so much better than just confidence in general, right? I am a person of hope. We are people who hope. We are people who believe. We are people who trust. Imagine this great chasm before me. If I was to be pushed off this stage or to slip through ignorance and incompetence. But imagine a, 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 a mighty rope 
We were suspended from the roof of the building, which we happen to know is strong. It's been well engineered over time. And this, let's say that let's say there's a, 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 a rope sort of as thick as you can grab as a person, like a, like a giant rope, the sort of rope they tow ships with, right? And it, it's tied around the giant beams that hold up the ceiling. If I fall off the stage, my faith will be evident. And I will grab hold of the rope, right? You won't be able to stop. I won't be able to stop myself grabbing hold of the rope, right? If it's right in front of me, I'll just grab hold of it or at least do my best to grab hold of it. Now, when I'm grabbing hold of the rope, imagine this giant chasm is bigger than it appears right now. Let's say that it's thousands of feet to a rocky bottom. It doesn't matter how much I trust the rope. Well, I trust the rope a little bit, or I don't really know. What matters is that the rope is trustworthy. And here's the thing about Jesus. One of the things I've found is I'm not very good at trusting. But he's very good at being trustworthy. And his trustworthiness, me, is so great, it requires very little trust from me. When you grab hold of a rope, the more you trust in it, does it make the rope stronger? See, sometimes we have this thing about faith, that if I have more faith, God will move. That's what Jesus said, you just need faith like a grain of a mustard. You just need faith. There's no measures of faith. You just need faith, or, or you either have faith or you don't have faith. You either grab the rope or you don't grab the rope. You can't really grab the rope, and then by so doing, by really believing, make the rope stronger. No, the, the rope is what it is. The rope is strong enough. Jesus is someone we can trust in all the circumstances and situations of life, right? As long as we just grab it. Do you know, the more faith we have just means we hold more tightly to the rope doesn't make the rope any stronger. We are people of hope. We are people who believe. We are people who trust. We are people who act. Everyone say act. Wouldn't it be great if you could just think your way thin? Wouldn't it? So if somebody like, well, I think it would be good. Wouldn't it be, well, for some of you, you might need to think your way to be a bit, bit. wouldn't it be great to be able to think your way healthy? Just, hmm, I'm healthy, hmm. Obviously, Dougal's a psychologist, so he's like, of course you can. It's all psychology. <laughs> you know, wouldn't it be good to think, just to think about savings? Hmm. I'm thinking about millions of dollars. Hmm. But, you know, one of the things we know as Christians, we're not people who just think about things. That we actually act. And we act. What do we act from? What's, where, where, where's our stage that we act in? Our stage is hope, belief, and trust. Our faith is our hope, our belief, our trust manifest in actions. That, that's why we're confident. That's why we're expectant. That's why we're excited about 2017. That's your moment to cheer. That's why we're excited about 2017. That's why, we're, that's why we're expecting things to get better and better, because we have a faith and a trust and a hope in this great person, Jesus, who's born again, who set us free, who's risen from the dead, and, and we're born again in Him. Amen? But what happens when you take faith and you add it to generosity? Well, generosity is an interesting thought, right? So Isaiah 32, 8, 
We've got three scriptures on generosity. You should write these down. Isaiah 32, 8 says, Generous people plan to do what is generous, and by their generosity, they stand firm. The older translation says, A generous person devises generous things. So if you're a generous person, then you put time, effort, and energy into scheming up ways where you can be generous and more generous. And then because of that generosity, you are the sort of person who stands firm. Now, often we think of generous people as just sort of generous, but they're actually strong. Generous people stand firm. Generous people are also clever because they're devising generous things. Proverbs 11.25 says, The generous prosper. Right? Prosperity. When the Bible says prosper, it's speaking about monetary prosperity, but also the whole of our life prospers because of our generosity. Everyone say generosity. Right? Then it says this. He, those who refresh others, will themselves be refreshed. Do you know a, a reverse reading of that verse? says something to us when we're not prospering in our life and in the flow of our life. I'm not going to say that. I want you, to, you can just read it yourself. The reverse reading of that says as well, something about when no, one, no one's being my friend, nobody's encouraging me. I, I have those thoughts every now and then. I don't know about you, but I have moments of self-pity, right, which can strength, stretch into months. But the reality is that when we refresh others, we are also refreshed, right? Not necessarily by others, but we're refreshed in the process. This is an interesting verse, um, the next one, Proverbs 22, verse 9. This is now in the New King James Version. The other ones were New Living Translation, but the New Living doesn't carry this very well. It says, verse 9, he who, so you obviously because it's New King James, you have to think that he is also she, he who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor, because he takes action. So whoever has a generous eye, I wonder what a generous eye is, one that, uh, an eye that produces a lot of sleep, <laughs> one that really pours out the tears. Wow, that's a generous eye. No, what's it? the Bible's saying that the way you look at things is where generosity begins. The way you perceive things, the way you perceive people, the way you look at people, generosity begins in the eye, and then it's reflected in action. It doesn't just say, he who has a generous eye is blessed. It says, he who has a generous eye is blessed. Yeah, he who has a generous eye is blessed because he gives his bread to the poor. He's not just blessed because he has a generous eye, right? But it begins there. Amen? So four things to think about generosity. Generosity is planned. It's planned. When you write your budget, your family budget, and you're deciding how much, we call it play money in the Smith house. The kids get pocket money and the parents get play money. Uh, or as my granddad used to call it mad money. You could just go mad with it. Uh, sometimes it was about half the money, but... When you think about that, when you think about you're cutting up all your power and electricity, sorry, <laughs> you got power, electricity, utilities, bills, you know, you got all the stuff you got to pay for, right? And the school stuff and, you know, whatever. 
are you planning generosity in there somewhere? Because that's what a generous person does. A generous, a generous person plans and devises generous things, right? Generosity bounces back at you. When generosity happens and when you're generous, you're so close to the generosity, it always bounces back at you. You actually can't be generous without also being blessed, right? It always bounces back at you. You never, ever can lose being generous, right? Generosity begins in your eye and is reflected, I think, in this order. Generosity begins in the way you perceive things and perceive people. You're generous in your interpretation of other people's actions. You're generous in terms of interpretation of their attitude. You're generous in ter- interpretation of their actions, right? They're who they are, right? It begins in your eye, and then it's reflected first in your thoughts. You have generous thoughts towards others. Then it's in your words. You have generous words about others and to others. And then you have generous actions. But it begins in your perspective, in your view of things, right? Number four, generosity establishes you in strength and prosperity. What happens when we mix these two amazing ingredients? Oh, I think this is the sort of thing that makes the world a better place. People of faith and generosity. Do you know, generosity expands faith. If you, if you have a generous view, you're a generous person, do you know what? It will expand and stretch your faith, your ability and desire to believe in God for bigger things, right? Because you're generous. You're believing God for blessings to abound to other people as well. Your faith goes 3D instead of 2D when you have a generous focus. Are you the sort of person who thinks, I keep believing for things and they just don't happen? Right? I'm saying that we're all that kind of person. Right? Can I suggest to you one of the ingredients that's missing from your faith is generosity? Because that's what gives focus to your faith. Start believing God for other people's blessing and you'll find faith actually grows and you'll see God move in ways you never could have imagined. Do you know what? So generosity expands our faith and faith gives focus to our generosity. It gives passion to our generosity. Amen? There's a guy uh, in history, his name's George Muller. He is, I reckon, the best example of these two ingredients smashed together in one great person. Uh, probably, if you haven't read the biography, a biography of George Muller, you should. You, it's probably, I'd say it's recommended reading or compulsory reading for Christians, right? He's born in 1805 in Prussia, which is now part of Germany, right? He lived a crazy sort of uh, young life, a wild young life. His dad was a tax collector, uh, at 14 years old, he was stealing government money from his dad's tax collection business to spend drinking. This is Prussia in 1805 uh, and 14-year-olds, right? Um, his mother passed away and his father sent him away to get an education. So sent him to Martin Luther's university to learn theology and divinity. Why? Because you can earn great money as a clergyman. Here you go. This is the job for you. Uh, lying, cheating, stealing young man. Uh, sent him off to Bible college, right? But at Bible college, he made the mistake of attending prayer meetings with other students. And Jesus impacts this, this guy's life. At, Bible, at, 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 at university, he repents, his life's transformed, and he, work, he begins a ministry, mainly among sort of brethren chapels, and he travels eventually to the UK. He's in a few different places, and he ends up in Bristol in the early 1800s, 1830-ish. He's in Bristol. He's married, has a small child, 
He and, and he's doing a bunch of stuff. He establishes his work for Christian education. A bunch of schools get established. He he releases resource through that. He has this revelation to to actually live without salary. He had a salary of wait for it fifty five pounds a year. I don't know what that is in today's money. But he just decided when he went to a new job in Bristol. He decided oh, he won't receive the salary. He'll just live, and God can provide for him. He had this gift of faith, right? About one year, less than one year after his son died, he had an infant son who died less than a year old. His son died, and about that time, he began working with orphans in Bristol, 1836. So if you know anything about history, Bristol in 1836, and orphans, and factories, and child labor, right? He was, this guy's right in the middle of that. And as a young couple, or as a couple, sorry, they've just lost, within a year, they lost this youngest son, they begin bringing orphan girls into their home, just into their rented flat. Do you know, eventually he established orphanages that housed 2,000 young people, 2,000 children. 120, what was it? 117 Christian schools with 120,000 students, right? Um, across what is it? Across the, the lifespan of all the orphanages, hundreds and hundreds of thousands, no, not hundreds, tens and tens of thousands of young people's lives were sort of completely transformed. He got massive criticism at the time. Do you know what he was criticized for? He was feeding and educating these poor people, and he was raising them above their station. So his orphanages were sort of blacklisted as though they're bad orphanages because they were, they were, te- they were growing these people above their station. That's 18, the 1800s for you, right? He did all of this without ever asking anyone for money. There's obviously no government funding. They didn't do government funding of anything. He didn't have any church money coming in. He just had money turning up. Building buildings, 117 schools. How do you build that without money? Where just money comes in, right? My favorite story, just a little story of George Miller, there's there's hundreds of stories of miracles that are in the autobiography. But my favorite story of George Buller is um, they were running low on food, as you do in an orphanage when you don't have a budget. The, the person in charge of the food comes to George and says, we've got no food left. It's like, this is in the afternoon. We've got no food left. And George Buller says, God's going to provide. And so he just keeps praying. He's a man of great faith and prayer, right? And so they all, all the... All the orphanage kids assemble in the dining hall. Is that the biggest of the orphanages? They're all there in the dining hall. George is there. And they've got the tables all set. And they all sit down in front of the empty bowls. George Muller stands up, as he does at every meal, to, uh, to give thanks for the food, to pray for the food. He prays for the food. As he says amen, he says amen. And there's a massive bang, a huge crash. And a bakery delivery van has had an accident outside the orphanage. The driver of the van comes in, and he says, I've got all this bread. I'm not going to get there on time. Do you, do, you, do you need any of the bread? So all the orphans go out into the street with their bowls, collect their bread, and go back in for the meal. And God provided like that, meal by meal, building by building, dollar by dollar, sorry, pound by pound, for this massive work. And, you know, sometimes we think faith is just this eerie-fairy thing. But faith prays over an empty bowl, and then there's a delivery van crash. That's faith. 
But it's not just faith. It's faith mixed with this generosity, these two powerful ingredients, you know. And I don't know about you, but living a life of faith is something that uh, it just grabs my attention and says, that's who I need to become. It'd be great to do provision, but wouldn't it be even better to become a person of faith, become a person of generosity, right? Okay, many of you know that things need to shift in your life. If you're going to become a person of prayer, a person of faith, a person of generosity, and a person of power, things need to change in your life. I would suggest you're not going to become anything different unless things change. It's simple as this. If you don't change, you won't change. <laughs> right? But there's, how many know that admitting you need to change is really hard because, not because admitting is hard, but change is hard. And when you admit that you need to change, then you start thinking about changing and then you might even start believing that you're changing and then you're bound to be disappointed. So a couple of things to remember about change. Number one, we're following Jesus on a journey, not a trip to the dairy, right? This is a journey that we're on, right? So we don't need to change quickly. We need to take steps towards becoming who God's called us there. And you need to be careful. You've got to avoid the are we there yet phenomenon. If the kids, if the kids ask, are we there yet at Johnsonville, have you know, it's going to be a long, long drive to Auckland. It's just going to be a long drive. But if you just don't ask that question, just don't ask the question. That's what we learn as adults, don't you? You get in the car. And you tell yourself, I'm, I'm going to be driving for the rest of my life. Then when you get to Auckland, you're like, wow, we're there. Right? Come on, we're going to be following Jesus for the rest of our life, becoming who he's called us to be. We're not, we don't need to stop and evaluate. Are we there yet? No, we just need to keep going in the right direction. Amen? That's how we change. Number two, people change in groups. They don't really change by themselves, not for the better anyway. By, the, by yourself, you do, you do change, but it's really you fester. And in a group, you can change. Jesus had a group of 12 people. He didn't work with individuals. He had a group. He worked sometimes with just a group of three, and he worked sometimes with a group of many, many thousands and tens of thousands, but he had groups of people, and we change in groups, and we change from the inside out. Everyone say inside out. Okay, so uh, in February, we've got a, our, our next theme starts, and uh, our, actually our theme for all of 2017 is this, heart and soul. We want God to work in our heart and work in our soul so that we can live for God with heart and soul, right? And our theme in February, uh, which is uh, when we're launching our e-groups, everyone say e-group, yeah, right, we're launching our e-groups in February for the year, and we're starting with a month of e-group where we're preaching the same thing as we're doing in e-group, we've got some cool videos, uh, and we've got a book that you can read as part of it, and our, our theme is called Inside Out, everyone say Inside Out. And the subtitle of the theme is this. The subtitle is slightly less, yay, it's this. Who you are when no one's looking. And there's a book by a great Christian leader, author, Bill Hybels. Um, You can buy it on Kindle for $5, but we'll also have some paper versions for people who prefer paper as well that will be for sale at the um, information table probably from next week, if not the week after. Uh, It's going to be an awesome, awesome time. Also in February... How many know every year in February we do, our, we do our 21 days of fasting? Who's looking forward to that? We're doing it slightly differently in 2017. For that very reason, we're doing it slightly differently. In 2017, we're going to do prayer and feasting instead. 
All right, so you're, you're free to fast in your own time, but as a church, we're going to do feasting because uh, we saw that was in the Bible as well. Uh, and uh, we can do fasting other times of the year, but in February, we're going to do 21 days of prayer and feasting. You know, uh, I love it in, in the book of Matthew, Jesus said this. Uh, he's talking about light on the hill. I, I've written it down because it's so great. This is the message. He says, now that I've put you on a hilltop and a light stand, shine, right? And then he says this, keep open house. Be generous with your life. By opening up to others, you prompt people to open up with God, our generous Father in heaven. And so across February, why don't you think about once a week opening up your home? Invite a neighbor, a workmate, someone from church, invite them into a space where you can just be generous with your house, generous with your home. It's a challenge. You have to vacuum, things like that beforehand. And then annoyingly, you have to vacuum afterwards as well, right? Uh, but keep open house. Invite people into home. We, we had such a great Sunday last Sunday, and I, one of my favorite photos I've ever posted on Facebook was a selfie of our lounge. Uh, it was sort of shoulder to shoulder with people eating lunch, right? Uh, Dougal's house is bigger, so, uh, so yeah, anyway, heaps of space today. But let's keep open house in February. It's a great time of year for barbecues. It's, you know, if, if you have a barbecue in Wellington, you also need to own an electric fry pan uh, for inside, inside barbecues. That's what we have at our house. Let's have an inside barbecue. But come on, invite people together and let's, let's not, just, not just eat together, but let's celebrate life together. At some point in the meal, just pray. God, we just thank you that we could be together celebrating you. That's what turns it from a meal into a feast. Amen? Amen. Awesome. So who are we? We're people who hope. We're people who believe, we're people who trust, and we're people who act. And we plan generous things because generosity bounces back at us. We look at the world generously, and that's why we're strong and prosperous. Do you wonder, sometimes do you wonder why you're so strong? Have you ever wondered why you've become so prosperous, Alistair? Yeah, the reason we've become so prosperous, the reason we are so strong is because we're people of faith and generosity. Amen? Who's been praying the prayer blast, the five-minute prayer blast? Who's been doing the 10-minute prayer blast? Yeah, the real Christians, uh, me and others, five-minute prayer blast. And it's just, uh, we're going to make a little business card so you can put it in your wallet because it's hard to remember. Um, and then you could, or it could be a bookmark uh, as well. And so you'll be able to remember because we're people of prayer, aren't we? Uh, my, my belief is this, that if I can pray every day in 2002, I'll get different outcomes than I got last year. Better. I'll have better outcomes in my life if I'm praying every day, and I believe that for you as well. We're going to finish with a song of praise. Who's ready to praise God? Yeah? Who's ready to praise God? Yeah. Awesome. Uh, don't forget to say uh, a good, big good bye to Alistair and Emily. Give them a hug so you can make them cry. Uh, that's not true. And uh, also don't forget, uh, if you want to give to, for Alistair and Emily or in the general offering, you can do that at the information table or online afterwards. The team are going to lead us. Why don't you jump to your feet? Let's praise God just before we go through the rest of our week.